Ooh, ooh. How'd how'd you make Lady Gaga cry? How? Poker face. Oh my god. How'd you get Pikachu on a bus? How? Pokemon. That doesn't even make sense. Yeah, it does, because you gotta get Pikachu on a bus. You poke him on? Oh, Jesus. Pikachu's like, Pika Pika! And you're like, no, dude, you gotta get on the bus. Yeah, that actually, that is a naughty word in Portuguese. What is? Pika. Is it really? Yes. What's it mean? It means dick. Does Does it really? Yeah, but it's with a C, not a K. Oh, okay, alright. So, in Brazil... Yeah, it's in Brazilian Portuguese, not Portugal Portuguese. But how does Pokemon deal with this situation? Because surely you can't have a little yellow mouse walking around shouting, Dick! Dick! All the time. It's a mouse? It doesn't look like a mouse. It. I mean, it kind of looks like a mouse insofar as Pokemon creatures looking like anim- real animals. Anyway, yes, they did not deal with it at all. They just... It says Pika. Pika, wow, Pika. And that's amazing. If I'm around a very small child, I have to keep a straight face and pretend like I'm an adult and not a, a teenager inside, like I'm not 12 and just wanting to giggle. Yeah. I mean, it does. It does. <laughs> <laughs> It does give an entirely new meaning to the slogan, you've got to catch them all, really. <laughs> the bag of dicks. Hello, you're listening to Brazil Nuts, an insane journey through the world of Brazilian politics, with your host, Larissa Peixoto, political scientist, and Gareth Davis, official stonewasher of Jeff Bezos' jeans. Coming up on this episode, we talk about Export Brazil and Getulia Vargas. And Larissa continues in her one-woman crusade to be wrong about every single movie ever made. Please remember to rate and review us wherever you rate and review things. Maybe you've recently downloaded a video game for your mobile phone device. And... It's popped up with a request to say, please rate us. And you're like, I'll be honest with you, free application within game purchases. Once you've crushed one candy, you've crushed them all. So you won't be getting a high score from me. But what I will give all the stars to, it's Brazil Nuts. It's a podcast. You probably like it, I'm guessing. Okay, thanks. That's what happens at the end of Pokemon, essentially. Ash, because that's his name, <laughs> because I know, because I've inadvertently watched a lot of Pokemon. Oh, you are a parent. Indeed. Ash, with his little red baseball cap, is training up to be the greatest Pokemon champion of all time, and his reward at the end of it is just a big bag of dicks just flying into his face, just bouncing all over his forehead, off his <laughs> cheek. <laughs> Oh my god. It does have an awesome theme tune, to be fair. The theme tune for Pokemon I is amazing. I wouldn't know. I haven't actually watched an entire episode or paid that much attention to it. 
the few times I've had to watch it, I was just doing something else on my phone or working or, you know, just letting one of my nephews watch it. Pokemon, it's you and me. I know it's my destiny. <laughs> oh, you're my best friend in a world we must defend. Anyway, that's uh, that's the theme from Pokemon. That's really sad. There's like, that's they're, amazing. They're, they're his best friends, they're this mythical yeah. creature. The whole point about Ash is that he's best friends with a tiny mouse that electrocutes things and shouts the word dick all the time. <laughs> yes. It's a much darker story than people give it credit for, really. <laughs> it's a very sad childhood. Mm. <laughs> well, this has taken a turn. Did you hear the thing about Alistair Crowley, by the way? No. Do you know who Alistair Crowley about. is? Uh, so that is a familiar name, but not really, no. Okay, so Alistair Crowley was a very famous occultist, probably the most famous occultist who arguably has ever lived. He died in 1947, I believe, but up until that point, he was he was already famous in his own lifetime, essentially. And he was known for being this outrageous, charismatic, railing against the moral values of the day personality. And he was into pentagrams and dressing all in black and, you know, having affairs with men and women and blah, 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 blah. He was... Generally speaking, uh, like a walking... Cliché. Tabloid headline. Yeah, exactly. He was... <laughs> and, but he became very, very famous during it. To anyway. be fair, in his time, I'm guessing he wasn't a cliché. Uh, no, 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 no. Alistair Crowley was the alpha occultist. <laughs> which is often words used to describe occultists, I think you'll find. Ooh, look at... That occultist, they are so alpha. <laughs> That's a thing. I am I am watching the third season of Legion, and at some point he goes, I am the alpha and the omega, and my sister and I just went, oh my god, such a white male. Dude, chill. Do you know that's what I say every morning when I get out of bed? <laughs> every morning when I get out of bed, I, I launch out from under the duvet. And I land on my two feet, and I shout at the top of my voice, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The Omega. And then I raise my arms, and then my shoulder hurts, and I have to put my arms back down again. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Anyway, so, I mean, what that suggests, however, is that you are very much the beta in this scenario. Oh, that, is, that suggests that I very much don't care. <laughs> okay, good. Excellent. Well, I'm glad you don't care, because it's true. Anyway, so, uh, Alistair Crowley yeah. owned a house that oversaw Loch Ness, right? Okay, of course he did. Yes, of course he did, because, you know, mystical spirits and, oh, mm. it's very good energy there. It's very good energy. <laughs> the crystals work wonderfully <laughs> in the Highlands. Anyway, so he owned this house and the house burnt down, right? Okay. Recently, the house burned down. Now, the owner of the property at the time decided that obviously they would need to do a lot of rebuilding work and so on and so forth. And so they dug it all up. And then underneath the original floorboards, they found this year 
Cask of a cask of Amontillado. No. A, a, a beating heart. No. This is not an Edgar Allan Poe short story, okay? But wouldn't it be cool if it were? They found a box with a pentagram drawn on the box and the okay. initials AC. And it's covered in melted wax. Now, the owner of the house then sold this box on eBay and it was bought by a man from Grimsby who recently announced that he was considering opening up the box. Which to this he bought point, it without he hasn't opened it. No, 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 no. He's bought it and he's now discussing the idea that he's going to open the box, which has remained sealed up until this point. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but a couple of years ago, a guy discovered some ancient yeast from an Egyptian mm. tomb and no. baked some bread with it. You don't know this story? No. Okay, right. So some guy did that. A guy found like. Ancient yeast. Okay. Baked a bread. And despite the fact that Brendan Fraser has been warning us about this shit for years, <laughs> for years, okay, he still went ahead and baked a loaf of bread, right? And I'm assuming ate it. Yes. And apparently it was lovely. But <laughs> not the point. The point is... And then he died of dysentery. No, 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 no. He's fine. The point is is that we can only push our luck so many times, okay? Now, if <laughs> Alistair Crowley buried a box under his house and sealed it with melted wax, then quite frankly, being as we are in the year of our Lord 2020, maybe, <laughs> just maybe, maybe we should keep it shut for... The time I being. I think that, you know, since all the crap is already happening, just open it and let 2021 be nice. Right, okay. Just let the shit happen now, before the year ends. But if you unleash winged demons <laughs> upon the earth, who will then Honestly, come and snatch it's not going to be that much different than we already have now. Anyway, Trump's out of hospital. See, speaking of demons, my sister and I were actually talking about this, how the next decade, if we all survive, or some of us survive, music is going to be terrible. It's going to be so happy and poppy and yay! Because that's what happens after, you know, a lot of tragedy which we've been dealing with since about 2013, and it's been growing and growing and growing until now, which means we're due for some time off. And if we all survive the apocalypse, which is what we're living through right now, it's just going to be terrible, like the 20s. This is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. Oh, God. Age of Aquarius. Like that kind of upbeat. Happy. For the 50s, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, what you're saying is, is that you're not happy unless everybody else is miserable. No, it's just that after like one third of the population dies, we have more resources, and then people go back to being, okay, let's forget about all the horrible shit we went through, and repeat the cycle. Sunshine and lollipops and... 
rainbows. And... <laughs> Humanity is dumb, is what I'm okay, saying. Okay, good. So, on that upbeat message from <laughs> from the Lady Variety magazine called The Ray of Sunshine in the podcast land, what are we talking about today? Well, this is our fourth time trying to yes. talk about this. I am done trying to record this episode, so this is our oh. last attempt. I like how you gave me a steely look then when you said that. Like... Yes. Because you are not recording a backup. Like, if I fuck this up, then quite frankly, you will have my balls on a silver platter. Yes. Yes. Okay, you didn't yes. have to agree. That is you all correct. You didn't have correct. to agree so wholeheartedly with that. You could have gone, no. <laughs> Because you are not recording a backup, which I am. And we've tried to record this episode several times, and every time there's a problem, and we can't release it. So now this is the fourth and final time. It is like 35 degrees Celsius. I am in a completely closed-off room. My fan is off. This is dedication, man. Okay, well, that sound you can hear... In the background. I don't know if you can hear it or not, uh, coming through the audio, but that sound you can hear is a crowd gathering outside Larissa's house right now to applaud her and her magnificence that she <laughs> obviously feels entitled to. <laughs> I am the Alpha and the Omega. <laughs> okay, so today we are talking about cultural exports. From Brazil. Okay. Excellent. Because, well, because that was an idea that I had a long time ago. We've tried to record it several times, and now I just want to get this episode out. Okay, good. So, what are we talking about exactly? So, exactly, we're talking about this period in Brazilian history called the Estado Novo, which is which translates roughly to New State. Sorry, the... The new state. Estado Novo. The Estado... Novo. No, no, novo. Yeah. Nailed it. Swish. Three points. <laughs> nothing. Nothing but net. During that time, we had a dictator called Getulio Vargas. So it was a state with a single dictator rather than when we had a military dictatorship and we had several dictators. Okay. Yeah. Okay, good. Okay, and that was... His name was... Getulio. Getulio. Vargas. Vargas. Okay, you got the sec You got his last name really good. <laughs> the first name is... Okay. No, no, I think you'll find... I think you'll find... Once again... You didn't pronounce the I. Getulio. There's an I between the L... But you didn't oh. say the I. You didn't pronounce I the did. I. You just went... You said, you said Getulu, and I said Getulio. Do you no, hear you the didn't. difference? I don't think you said that originally. Of course, there's a recording. I think... We are recording this. I think you intentionally set me up to fail. Because you know why? <laughs> you know why? You're jealous. Because I'm the Alpha and the Omega. You're jealous of... <laughs> Of my ability to pronounce Portuguese words <laughs> flawlessly. <laughs> and you're like, I'll show him. Who does he think he is? I'll take him down a peg or two. Anyway, so... Trying to 
talk to me like I'm a peeker. <laughs> we're gonna have a quiz now. Because oh you're God! Being kind of a yeah. We're having a quiz. It's quiz time. No, why? Why are we doing this? Because I feel like it. Oh my when God. did Brazil become a republic? Eighteen ninety. No, eighteen eighty. Nine. Eight, Good. No, nine. No, nine. you were right. Oh, Jesus. 1889. No, 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 that was... That Not was, that big of a deal. No, 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 when people listen to this, they'll hear me get it right straight away, and they'll be like, <laughs> wow, wow, what a, what a man. That man is totally an alpha, an omega, and, and everything in between. So, the period in between 1889 and 1930 is known as the Old Republic, or... The Coffee with Milk Republic. Oh. Do you know why is it called the Coffee and Milk Republic? Yes, yes, I do. Yes, I do. It's because it the two most politically powerful states. Yeah. One produced coffee and the other one produced milk as their yeah. main exports. There you go. You're okay. welcome. Okay, which states were those? Yes. <laughs> And, come on, you still didn't explain why the Republic was called Coffee and Milk. Right, but Rio de, was it Rio de Janeiro? No. Eh. Oh, no, no, Sao Paulo. Yeah, which produced? Coffee. Good. And Minas Good, which produced very milk. good. Boom! 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 Laying down knowledge all over your face. <laughs> what did they do that gave this period the name Coffee with Milk Republic? Oh, it's because they basically decided who the who the president was going to be. And so they would nominate them alternatively. There you go. B plus. Why is that a B plus and not an A plus? Because it took you a while to get there. Oh my god, you didn't say this was a time trial. It took you a while and I I had to I had to give you some hints. No you didn't. What hint did you give me? It wasn't Rio de Janeiro. Okay. But I didn't say Rio de Janeiro. You took two you took three tries to guess the date, the the year the Republic was founded, and you didn't say right away what it was that the states did. That gave the Republic the name Coffee with Milk. The Latte Republic, if you will. Anyway. I call bullshit on this. I call massive <laughs> bullshit on this. You know what this is like, right? This is like <laughs> I'm an A-level student in the UK and you, you, my friend, are an algorithm. <laughs> That's what you are. <laughs> okay, so... This period in time, the end of the 1800s, early 20th century, it was a lot of political turmoil. So you have these two states that essentially decide who the president's going to be. About 5% of the population is allowed to vote 
So you have only men voting, only men who have land, only people who can read. Even then, you have a lot of, you know, vote buying and fraud, and you have just earned stuff with ballots. Voting for a while wasn't even confidential. People would just raise their hands for... It was ridiculous. So when you say people would vote just by raising their hand, would it literally be well, like, John, John, uh, so we've got a vote coming up. Which way are you leaning? Are you leaning towards this party? Or are you leading towards this party? Now we'll go through it again. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna give you A or B, and which mm-hmm. I'll say A, and if you want to vote for them, you raise your hand. And if I say B, the B party, <laughs> you raise your hand for the B party. Yes, <laughs> yes. So you can either choose A well, or you can choose I'll... the B party. John, John. <laughs> The B party. A lot of the times, the fraud that came along with it was that people would register to vote and they were registering and the people who were registering them were the local political and economic bosses. So it was the mm. colonels as, it, as they're called until today. Not military colonels, it's just a name that we give to powerful people in the country. Mm-hmm. And so even people who didn't, who couldn't read or write, so at the time who were not allowed to vote, so only with the 1988 constitution were people who can't read or write allowed to vote. Before then, they were banned from voting, it was forbidden. They would actually register people who were not allowed to vote. So these people were depending, their livelihood depended on them. So they were registered to vote illegally, and then on voting day, they would just raise their hand. But the the raising the hand technically didn't last for a long time, but the confidential aspect definitely took us some time getting there. But that's why you can't really say that this period in Brazilian history is democratic. There isn't really a democracy going on. I mean, just the fact that women couldn't vote, you can just say, you know, not democratic. But then another aspect that wasn't democratic was that the other states were all completely banned from national politics. And state politics was very important. So you had, and we talk, I talk about this a little bit in our parties episode, uh, in part one, that we had state parties. So right now, Brazilian parties have to have national and state and municipal directories. So they have to be present at all three levels. Back then, parties could exist regionally. Right now, they can't anymore. And the other states started to not feel so great about this arrangement. You know, we want to be in power too. We want to be presidents too. We want to, you know, be a part of this game. It wasn't that they were nice and wanted something more democratic. It was just they were not happy with the status quo. Yeah, you've already got all the coffee and the milk. You should also get the presidents as well. Leave something for the rest of us, you bastards. Exactly. So for this episode, I'm not really going to talk about the revolution that happened, but there was a lot of comings and goings, and all of a sudden there was a revolution in 1930. Mm -hmm. Which is something something that we'll talk about. Uh, When are we likely to talk about that? We can, we can talk about in another episode. 
It's it's of interest. We don't have to. Stunning. Stunning. I did not see that coming, but you hear it here first, folks. We are going to talk about that in another episode. I'm I'm as shocked as you are, guys. You're such a pika. You're such a pika. How dare you? I know what that means now. <laughs> You're not referring to my lovely fork-shaped tail at all. <laughs> anyway. So, Getulio Vargas comes to power, and the idea was to reorganize power. So, there is a constitution, women get the vote, and this is, this is all happening in 1930, 31, 32, and he's like, no, no, you guys don't have to worry, I'm giving power back. You know, as soon as everything is done and great and settled, power's coming back, and we're going to have elections. So, in 1937, he says... Psych, and he doesn't leave, and he creates a new constitution, which is called the Polish Constitution, because it was inspired by the Polish Constitution of the day. Right. And he stays in power until 1945. So this period in time is the whole period is is known as the Vargas period, and this is a guy who decided that. Brazil needed to modernize. Hmm. It needed to become a player in the international stage. Yep. And it needed to become modern. And to become modern, you have to be more like Western European countries and you have to be more like the United States. And this is what Brazilians think to this day. And you have to have cultural aspects that you are known for. So... While he did a bunch of things, including creating national industries, uh, Getulio Vargas, despite being a dictator, is still kind of beloved. He is the one who created labor laws and unions in Brazil. So he's known as the uh, father of the poor, but also the mother of the rich, because he created laws that protected urban workers, but let rural workers get fucked. So... He's a very controversial figure, mm. in my view. Yeah. And one of the aspects of Getulio Vargas was that he was a populist. So he took a lot of, a lot of his cues, a lot of his traits from Mussolini and from Hitler and from the propaganda styles of the United States in order to create a propaganda style for Brazil. Yeah, I mean, if I'm looking at politicians who, who did it the right way, you know, those, those would certainly be at the top of my list if I was going, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, I want to model myself after <laughs> good old Mussolini. What he wanted was to create a national identity that could be internationally recognized. Mm. So he went for the ones who were creating national identities mm -hmm. and that could really and that really inflamed the people to protect it. Mm -hmm. And who did that back then? Italy, Germany, and the United States. Very true. So one of the things that he did was legalize capoeira. So capoeira is a street fight that looks like a dance that was created by enslaved people. I, I know what capoeira is. I know you do. It's in a video game you play. It because because 
it was in when I was now but near to Grasshopper. I used to occasionally play what were then called video games. And while yes. playing those video games, I played one called Tekken 3. And in Tekken 3, yes. there was a series of fighters. It was a beat-em-up game. And there was a series of fighters, one of which was a panda, inexplicably. One of which was a kung fu artist. One of which was a robot. The other one of which was... <laughs> You're just making that up. No, it's true. They were a robot. His name was Gunjack. Another <laughs> one was a... Possibly either a demon or a ninja or both. <laughs> And one of which was a chap called Eddie Gordo. And Eddie Gordo was my favourite character because it took no skill whatsoever to play with Eddie Gordo. And I am not, even though I love playing video games, I'm really not very good at them. And because Eddie Gordo's style was based on capoeira, all you had to do was just tap the buttons together with your fingers and he would produce these brilliant moves and you would defeat everybody. He was fanta He was my favourite character in Tekken 3. Well, Capoeira is very hard and it's very strenuous. People who actively... Not if you're playing Tekken 3, it's not. It's a piece of cake. Yeah, people who actively pursue it and do it usually are in amazing shape. And mm. it was something that enslaved people could do and it would seem like they were dancing, but they were actually training. So that that's why it was banned. Getulio Vargas legalized it and made it something of our postcard. So you could go anywhere in the world and you're going to find capoeira circles. Because this is what we say is the export Brazil. This is what Brazil decided to export and make it our calling card. Hmm. Another thing that is super famous from this time and that is still completely recognized as something that is ours is Carmen Miranda. I was just going to ask in regards to capoeira, why specifically capoeira? Why, why was it that that was chosen as the sport to export from Brazil? Why not football? Why not, you know, something that, like that? Because another thing that Getulio Vargas wanted to do was calm a lot of tension. And he wanted to sell the idea of the racial democracy. So you have in the United States the idea of the melting pot. Anybody can come here and make it and whatever. But they also have a lot of segregation. Brazil doesn't. Brazil is very miscegenated. And that's when the concept of the racial democracy is created, specifically by sociologist Gilberto Freire in the 1930s. And it's the idea that the country was formed by the black and the white and the indigenous working together to come as one and build this country, which is bullshit. It's utter and complete bullshit. Now, it's not that Gilberto Freire doesn't have his, you know, good sides, good things that he wrote, but the idea that this was done in any way that wasn't violent or cruel is ridiculous. The idea that this is still not violent and cruel and that this country is still not built 
on black and indigenous blood is ridiculous. So what Getulio Vargas wanted to sell was that there were things that were so specifically Brazilian because of racial democracy. So there is no need to do anything else because racial democracy is already here. We don't need to fight. We're the country of racial democracy. Look, capoeira. And capoeira is a bit of a mixture with some indigenous aspects of fighting and even the name itself, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. It didn't come complete from Africa. It was built here. It was created here. Mm. So it's influenced by various different aspects of yeah. uh, of different cultures. But the idea is, is that it is uniquely Brazilian. Yeah. And therefore is, I take it then in that case, not like football or not like yeah. any other sport in the sense that it is just Brazilian. And so therefore it's something that can be exactly. that, is, that you will not find anywhere else. It's a unique selling point, essentially. Yeah, exactly. There is the idea of selling Brazilians as uniquely good at football because they are Brazilian. Mm-hmm. So there is the swagger and there is the rhythm and the movement and all that crap. But capoeira is uniquely Brazilian. The problem with all this that Chetulio Vargas did is that it created a stereotypical version of what a Brazilian person is. And I want to talk about uh, one particular character um, after Kami Miranda, because when still today we are affected by these decisions in what a Brazilian is expected to be both in the country and out of it. So the idea that all Brazilians have to be good at football, have to like it, and, you know, all that concept that they have to be outgoing, have to be extroverted, have to be hospitable. You, there's a lot of pressure on, on these stereotypes. And a lot of it comes from this time. Another one of these was Cami Miranda. So Cami Miranda was actually mm. Portuguese born, but she was marketed as Brazilian. Thing is, her whole package was inspired by black women in Bahia. So her outfit, the way her her headwear was made, it was just, you know, like a smaller, sexier version and more colorful because black women in Bahia wear white. And then she was shipped off to the United States specifically hmm. to be a publicity stunt for Brazil. So she was actually a state-sponsored movie star then in that case rather than a yeah that's int- i always assumed that she was just discovered by some hollywood producer somewhere who walking around wearing you know wearing colorful outfits and so on and was like yeah no great we'll definitely put no. her in a movie nope she was sent there specifically really for this. and wow yeah, and she was actually a, a very good artist in her Ooh. own right and a writer and a composer but yeah, she was completely a part of this entire creation of the Brazilian image and this cultural appropriation of black culture because this is what Getulio Vargas did. He took black culture, essentially, and put it on white people and marketed it as unique, uniquely Brazilian. Yeah, I was going to say there's a theme running through here, which is that, which is yeah. basically yeah. <laughs> these People here are doing something cool. Let's steal it and package it (laughs) 
and put a and put yeah. a stamp on it, and then we'll just send it to the rest of the world and claim that we did it. Yeah, that's what happened to Carnaval. The Carnaval that uh, foreigners see today, the parade in Rio de Janeiro and in São Paulo, that was created in a way by Getúlio Vargas. So Getúlio Vargas wanted to organize Carnaval. Carnaval was very, you know, chaotic. And Carnaval had its own traditions, and these traditions varied according to class, of course, as they always do. And some of the richer people who had cars would drive them all dressed up and, you know, in colorful paper mm. and so on. And so he decided to have parades. And at the time, the capital was Rio de Janeiro. So that's how you sort of create uh, an organization of Carnaval. So Carnaval is no longer people using drugs in the street. It's, mm. you know, people who can and will just parade with their cars. And one thing that he did right. was uh, ban instruments that wasn't percuss percussion instruments. So instruments that are essentially European, which are metal instruments and chords, are not allowed. And this rule exists to today. Another thing was you can yeah. only use themes that are related to Brazil. So this is, you can see it's very nationalist. It's very much, you know, the creating the national identity. One thing that he did, and you can see there's video of this, is he had a ceremony to burn state flags. Because he didn't want the states to identify as a state primarily. He wanted to identify as Brazilian primarily. And so therefore a state yeah. flag... Is bad. Yeah, is bad and should be replaced with a Brazilian one. That's who you're proud to be. You're not proud to be from Sao Paulo or Minas Gerais or anywhere like that. You're proud to be Brazilian. Brazilian. And it's bizarre because you have this huge pyre and he had children putting the flags in the pyre. Wow. He loved to have events that feature children in the crowd cheering for him. I think... In part, maybe because he wasn't very tall, but also, you know, it's part of the populist ethos. He loved that wholesome image of yeah, little Jimmy standing there holding his Brazilian. I want to be just like you, Mr. President. His tiny Brazilian flag while he was saying exactly. That. Yeah, exactly. So there are videos upon videos of that, which was really cool because you know, 1930s, you don't expect that many videos of that time. But that goes to show something as well, in that because they took so many videos of it, it was it's a predetermined strategic yeah. maneuver that there yeah. would be so much footage of this person and these kind of marketing public relation ploys. There would be so much footage of that. You see this happening in these other countries, not just the fascist Nazi ones, but also the socialist ones and the capitalist ones. You see this in the United States. Every house has a United States flag. Mm. And it truly does. And one thing that helped Getúlio Vargas was that most of the elite intellectuals of the time were also interested in finding a national identity. They were also looking for that. So you have people like Mario de Andrade and Graciliano Ramos and Carlos Drummond de Andrade all discussing 
all discussing in their poems and their literature what was being Brazilian. Because being Brazilian is such a diverse experience that it's hard to really put it into one form or one idea or one concept. And that's how they decided to go with. Being Brazilian is the racial democracy, it's the diversity of experience. But we have to find one thing. So, for instance, feijoada. Feijoada was that was the perfect combination of that creation because you create a, a backstory for it that it was created by enslaved people. It wasn't. People still say that it was. It's an urban legend. It didn't actually happen. You know, a bean broth with cuts of meat into it. Then you have rice. Rice is a staple in Brazilian cuisine. That all is just, you know, typical food that you have. But then you create this background for it and you create a story and then it's black beans and it's white rice and then it's the national food. Yeah, so, it would be a bit like if England's national food was, uh, say, for example, fish and chips. Uh, and who, do, who doesn't <laughs> love fish and chips, really? We all do. It's lovely. But the reason why England's national food would be fish and chips is because it's the meal that St. George tucked into right after lopping the head off Scaly Book Scaly the Dragon. And that obviously would be complete bobbins, mostly because it was a Sunday and all the chip shops were closed. But <laughs> also, as well, it would... I mean, that's what this is, isn't it? This is this. The idea is, is that you're trying to take something that is accessible to everyone. That's the key, is that everybody can yeah. make that dish and everybody can, you know, practice capoeira and everybody can, you know, everybody can relate to Karma Miranda. Everybody can do these things that they want you to do, that they're, that they're shaping into a prepackaged mm -hmm. national identity, even though it's Most not. Most people don't actually experience these things. and. Yeah. If you go, we've talked about two northern states now. Feijoada is mostly, not mostly, feijoada is pork. But the states we've talked about, their diet is mostly fish. Yeah. So their typical foods is completely different. Fish and chips? Is it fish and chips? Not so much chips, I don't think. God, see, this is the thing. But right, fish, guys, yes. Seriously. <laughs> anybody who's out there, right, quick money-making idea... <laughs> a chippy right in the north of brazil you'll make so much money you will make so much money battered cod some chips mushy peas jobs are good i don't think we have cod um i'm not sure what's the main fish up there down here is tilapia oh, there i we make go. fish and chips with tilapia okay there we go then so battered, battered tilapia get you mm-hmm Get your mushy peas out. Great. Oh, gross. Mushy what? Are gross. What's wrong with mushy peas? Why would you have mushy peas in 40 degree weather? 40 Celsius. That's almost what I'm feeling right now. Probably in the shut-off room, that's exactly what I'm feeling right now. Honestly. 40. I just want ice cream. Honestly, how do you keep your peas from going mushy in that weather? <laughs> so... Your peas will melt. Uh, 40 degree weather. One, That's insane. 
The whole thing with feijoada, for instance, is that the legend says that enslaved people would get the not as fancy cuts of meat, and that's what they would put in the bean broth. The thing is, back then, in the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, 1900s, I mean, not 1900s, uh, slavery was abolished in 1888, all cuts of meat were high-end because there wasn't that much meat to go around and food was way more expensive. So enslaved people didn't get meat at all most of the time. So the idea that they would get, you know, the snout and the tail and the the ears because the master of the house didn't want them, that's just not true. So about the authors I mentioned, Carlos Drummond de Andrade is a poet from a city close to, to Belo Horizonte. And he actually has a poem that I really like. And I'm not going to remember the exact date, but I know that the architect who, you know, remodeled this, the main square here in Belo Horizonte was tied to the Getulio Vargas administration somehow. And he wrote a poem to the square, but essentially criticizing it because it was really beautiful because it was inspired in Versailles. So it was really nice and pretty. And it has all those manicured lawns and everything is really geometric and shaped and nice. But it's not Brazil. So that's what the poem is about. Brazil is about luscious gardens and luscious woods and forests. It's not, yeah, it's just essentially trying to find an identity because we shouldn't have to model ourselves after another country to find beauty. That's the idea of the poem. Right, but if we've established anything, it's that Brazil has no identity that can be nailed down to anything. And that's when we go to Mário de Andrade and read Macunaíma. Macunaíma is the hero with no character, which is a play on words. I can tell. He can be a hero that is flawed because his character is flawed, or because he is Brazilian and hasn't found his character yet. Mm. So Macunaíma is definitely something that I would suggest as reading material for anyone wanting to see that search for a national identity during this time. And we can eventually do an episode on it, like a Brazil Nuts book club, because I think you'd like that book. Yeah, okay. But... Go on. Here's my issue with all of this. It's that, okay. it's that neither of those things are correct. It's not that Brazil is one thing and not another. It's also not that Brazil is still struggling to find itself. It's that Brazil has things that are uniquely Brazilian. It's just nobody is looking at those things or talking about those things or, or actually, you know, embracing any of those characteristics at all whatsoever. It is just that what they've, what they've decided to do is take some of the more marketable or the parts of it they believe they can market and then promote those as a national identity rather than the true Brazil, rather than what it actually makes up Brazil. Yes. Okay. That is that is exactly right. The thing is, these all of these uh, intellectuals, they were mostly elite intellectuals. Mm -hmm. So these are not people who were, you know, 
from the the lower classes. They went working down the mine with a pit pony as their best friend. Yeah. One of my friends calls this poverty tourism. And I think it's a it's actually just a common expression, but I mostly heard her say it. And there is one painter from the time, Anita Malfatti, and she was trained in Europe. But she comes here and says, why do I have to go to Europe and learn from the great masters when true beauty is here? But essentially, what she is talking about is is really condescending because she is talking about this whole rustic idea of Brazil and sort of essentializing what is the rough life of country life in Brazil. So she's making it seem romantic and beautiful, and it's actually really hard. Mm. And she's from this period as well. Uh, She's from the 20s and 30s as well. And so there's a lot of essentializing the Brazilian experience instead of finding its cracks and its difficulties and the beauty that comes from that. Yeah. So most of this Brazil for exportation is about this. And the stuff that you can find that is truly Brazilian from that time and that didn't concern itself with what is Brazil. It just was. It just existed. And it just created. I'm not sure a lot of that is translated. um, But I can look into it. Um, No, actually, come to think of it, there is thinking of the period specifically. Graciliano Ramos did worry about this whole national identity thing, but one of his most brilliant novels is Barren Lives, and he wasn't concerned about national identity there. Mm. He was just telling the story of people who were migrating from the Northeast to Sao Paulo, and that is a wonderful book. Clarice Lispector is not exactly from that time, but... She is influenced by that time. And then you also have Carolina de Jesus, who has been translated into hundreds of languages because she she was a woman who lived in the slums and she taught herself how to read and write by taking books from people's trashes. And she would write with pens and pencils and paper she found in the trash. And her book, one of her books has been translated into hundreds and hundreds of languages. And it is just telling the story of this black woman who is living her life. So that is another thing, that that is another interesting one that I can suggest. But I can think of other things and put it in our show notes once we finally have that website (laughs) finished. So another character that is interesting is our patron saint who is the Holy Mother, but is a figure who appeared in Aparecida and she was blackened by being in a river. And because of that, she became the Holy Mother of Aparecida and was deemed the patroness saint of Brazil Mm. because the figure was blackened. Mm. Even though it's not a black saint, no. The no. Holy Mother, but there's the image is just, you know, everywhere with her face being black. Mm. 
And I actually had to go to Aparecida because my mom made a promise when I was young because I was going deaf. And she said, if she doesn't go deaf, I will take her there. And she made a promise, essentially, that I had to keep. Okay, good. Excellent. Yeah. I also do that all the time with my daughter mine. It's like... Don't. If I manage to get down the stairs without stubbing my toe on anything, <laughs> then my daughter should bring me ice cream. And you'd be amazed at how often I'm successful in regards. That is not that is not okay where is megatron i need to talk to her <laughs> i need to protect this child well she's very good she's really good at yeah. fetching ice cream she's really really <laughs> she's getting so, uh, but i mean i'm thinking oh it's so hot here can you send her my way i'm thinking maybe two three more years at this level and then maybe we'll look to go pro and when she's 18 she can get your beer instead actually no she can do that now it's just that dude what no you can't say that on the podcast this is a davis family tradition you you reach a certain age where you can open the fridge door yourself and at that point you're expected to fetch the elders a beer this is i did it oh my god i did it when i was her age and she will carry this on and her children okay. will bring her beer when she's forty and tired, Not. and so on. That's that's <laughs> how it will. That's how it will work. Not okay. So, lastly, mm. another thing that Getúlio Vargas did was invite Disney animators to Brazil. They stayed for however many weeks in Rio de Janeiro mm-hmm. and created a Brazilian character called Zé Carioca. Ah. What is the name in English? Because he was part of the Three Amigos. No, the Three Caballeros. The Three Caballeros. I always think it's the Three Amigos. No, the Three Amigos. And the Three Caballeros are the that is the movie with Chevy Chase. And Chevy whatever. Chase, Steve Martin, and uh, and Martin and... Short. And it is my favorite movie of all time. Oh God, no! Yeah, one for each no. other and all for one. Are three brave amigos. We are the See, three the amigos. Every we time we try to record this episode, I confuse amigos, amigos and caballeros, and you we sing are the, the three song. And amigos, forever we'll be. Oh God, my eardrum! There you go. There you go. That was that was the theme song from the Three Amigos, okay. one of the greatest movies so, ever made. Zacharyaka was created to be one of the Three Cavaleros which was a film released at the time, an animated film, and he made it into the comics. Mm-hmm. So there's still Disney comics with Zach Carioca. He's a parrot, and he's a horrible, stereotypical character. Uh, he is lazy, he is cunning, and he's just, you know, he's he's trying to take advantage of everyone at all times, but he's very lovable. 
That's true. So that is the image that, you know, is exported from us. Yeah. He also smokes... He also smokes cigars. Yeah, he smokes. And, and... It's part of the persona. Do you know who else stars in Three Caballeros? Who provides voice for the Three Caballeros? The movie. Who? It would be one Aurora Miranda. Who was the sister of... Carmen Miranda. Indeed. Absolutely. So uh, everything works in circles, I'm saying, is what I'm saying here. You know, there are threads Actually, that intertwine. Actually, that one is just a straight line. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much a straight line. Okay, yeah. fine. Yeah, all right, fine. Fine. So... Okay, I thought, <laughs> I thought I was bringing interesting facts, and you were all like, no, yeah, that makes sense. No, it I'm is not an astonished fact, at all. But it is pretty much a straight line. From, you know, Kami Miranda to her sister being a voiceover actress in the Zacarioca film. So, yeah. So, what I wanted to bring was this idea of the export Brazil. You know what? Chevy Chase never had to put up with any of this at all on the set of The Three Amigos. Because he's an asshole. Everybody else had to put up with him in the set of Community. So Martin Short didn't have to put up with it. During the military dictatorship, a lot of the sim- a lot of similar uh, things happened. A lot of things that were deemed acceptable that as our image and that could be exported. A lot of national identity bullshit was forced down everybody's throat, and it still is, especially now. Bolsonaro loves this bullshit. He loves saying the, you know, that is his motto. That was his motto for his campaign. You know. Country above all, God above everything. Mm. So, you know. (laughs) So, yeah. So, I just wanted to give an idea of what happened back then and how the idea of Brazil as what it is now become. How politics and culture kind of intertwine sometimes. And that, you know, I don't like football. I will never like football. I will never know what's going on with football. And if you meet me, don't ask me about football. I also don't know how to do capoeira. Okay, good. All right. Okay. So what you're saying is that anybody who meets you should immediately offer to take you to a local soccer match (laughs) where you can stand in the crowd and cheer on those wonderful soccer players it's doing so the soccering. Everyone just asks me which team I root for or how do I feel about Brazil's loss in the World Cup. Everyone who meets me who's okay. not Brazilian. Who is Brazilian, they ask the team. I have to have a team. It's so irritating. Who is your football team? I don't have one. Fuck off. <laughs> you pick a I know what that means now. It's not very nice. <laughs> so that was, you know, the beginning of the creation of Brazilian identity and how it was exported and the creation of this, you know, the idea of Brazilian swagger. And yeah, that was what I thought we could talk about today. Do you have any other questions? I do not think so at all. I would just like to point out that Jalea is barking in the background. And she is. she's she's very, very excited to talk about Brazilian swagger. 
Yeah, I do like Carnaval, but I would like to point out that Carnaval is different in everywhere, every place you go. I mm-hmm. don't like Rio de Janeiro Carnaval. I like street no. Carnaval. Yeah. So yeah, boom. Boom. So thank you very much, Larissa. That was You're fascinating and wonderful as always. As always, you have brought knowledge and grace and decorum to. <laughs> The badlands <laughs> of podcasting. That's what you've done. Anyway, uh, I suppose we better wrap this up, haven't we? At this point. Yes. That's normally the done thing. Once we reach an end of an episode, we go, okay. Cheer, yes, also because by. I am melting and I need to open a window and drink some water. Yeah, okay. All right, then we'll 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 let you out of your cage and Thank you. we'll we'll say goodbye. So <laughs> Please remember to rate, review us, like, and subscribe wherever you may be. And you can follow us at where we at, yo? At Brazonuts Pod. Yes. Get there. Pretty much on Twitter. Or B Square. And like I say, once again, thank you all for listening. You are brilliant and beautiful and wonderful. And we love each and every one of you more deeply than you can possibly imagine. Not that deeply, though. And <laughs> I was anything for you, but I won't do that. What are you singing now? That meat love song. I'll do anything for you, but I won't do that because you made and me I think of it. I do anything for love. That one. But I won't do that. Yeah. That was a because... banging meatloaf impression I just did, and you gave me no credit for it at all. Because. And you no. made me think of that, because we, we do love our listeners very, very deeply, but not that much. Yeah, that's true. Also, <laughs> as well, appreciate <laughs> my genius as a mimic. Uh, yeah, sure. You're a great meatloaf impersonator. Thank awesome. you. Thank you very much. Anyway, do you know he was in Fight Club? The movie? Yeah, meatloaf. I don't remember. Yeah, he was the guy with the boobs. I don't remember. Oh, okay, fine. All right, fine. I have fine. watched it though. Do you know why? Do you know why you probably don't remember that Meatloaf is in Fight Club? Why? It's because very, very few people talk about Fight well, Club. We don't talk about Fight Club. I know. Oh, Jesus! I can't believe I fell for that. Okay, everyone, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Yes, we will. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye bye. Bye! So he loved to do things with children. Wait, hang And on. he wasn't very tall, so I guess it would... No, oh, okay, that sounded bad. Yeah, yeah, that's... He loved to have events where he was surrounded by cheering children. Is that better? <laughs> I mean, barely... I mean, Bally, <laughs> honestly, as soon as you said he loved to have events, you were, on, you were on a slippery slope at that point. I think it, in part because he wasn't very tall, I think it helped. No, no, um, no, no, we need to, we need to fix that. I don't know how. Brazil Nuts is an effort by Larissa Peixoto and Garrett Davis. We'd like to thank Foster Zelinski for our graphic design. We'd also like to thank the essential workers for keeping us safe. And you, our listeners, you are beautiful, like a butterfly. 
Mariah Carey. That's what you like. You like Mariah Carey. Just a sexy socialist with a fantastic vocal range and a great set of lungs. Thank you for listening. I am... You didn't pronounce the I. Knocking it out of the park. It's a home run. As far as the eye can see, that baseball is never coming back because it's gone so (laughs) far. It's in the next... Oh, God, no, not baseball analogies. City, and then, and and yeah, it's a souvenir. Let's use the fact that you're Welsh, I'm Brazilian, and we do not have to talk about baseball. I don't really understand baseball, if I'm honest with you. Nobody does.